Welcome to Radio Rehab. I'm your host, Dana. I'm an addict and alcoholic. This is a show for other addicts and alcoholics and also for their families and for anyone who knows us. If this is your first time listening, we have over 300 episodes in the bank. You can go back and listen to all of them. If you can't get to a meeting right now, which is completely understandable, you can go back and listen to any of our episodes. Please do. We welcome you. And if you like what you hear, please rate, subscribe, and like us because it makes me happy. Gives me a reason to wake up tomorrow. This is episode one of my three-part series with my dear friend, Andy. In this first episode, we get to know Andy and hear how she got sober. Let's join the conversation. Welcome to Radio Rehab. Here's your host, Dana Keys. Thank you so much for being on the show today. I am so excited to talk to you. It's so funny because um, producer Shar came to see me get, I don't know if it was my one year, no. I think it was my three-year chip, maybe? It was one of those chips, and you spoke at the meeting, and she was like, we got to get her on the show. And I'm like, it's so interesting that she's she really like connected to this one person, and it's you. <laughs> I'm honored, I think. <laughs> <laughs> you should be. You should be. I don't, I'm like, oh, that's so interesting that, that that's who she chose to just be connected to, and she's wanted to have you on the show, and, and so have I, and I'm, I'm so glad to have you on the show it's because we have a mutual friend who introduced us, you know, and then she was trying to just get me plugged in and connected to the program any way she could. And she's like, this is Andy. She's from Jersey and she loves cats. And I'm like, <laughs> you, you had me at Jersey and cats. <laughs> I, I remember, I remember you still were kind of a deer with the headlights at that. Oh time. yeah. Right. <laughs> like with my hair in my face, looking down and just being very startled by everything. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I'm still like that. <laughs> I know. I, I kind of am too, depending on the day. <laughs> bangs you hide you know right yeah that's the great thing about bangs i know especially like right now with my covid bangs is i if i put them down nobody can see my face at all <laughs> that's a good thing yeah totally <laughs> sometimes i know right fine so it's like you know i'm still seeing it's okay Right. Yours looks great. Your hair looks great. You look, you do not have a COVID look at all. I think more things are opening up in Sonoma as far as like people able to get their hair done and things like that in San Francisco, like nothing is open. No, that's what I heard. Yeah. I, I, I have an appointment on the 17th. That was as soon as she could get me, but I still get it sparkled because Lisa comes to my house. Oh, right. You know, that's another thing that we discussed. And that's one thing I loved about you when I met you, you have actual sparkles in your hair, like glitter highlights. It's the most amazing thing I've ever seen. I love it. It's perfect. Everybody, it's you. Sparkle. So yeah. I do. <laughs> so I'm going to, I'm going to change your name on my phone to sparkling Andy. There you go. Okay, I'll take it. So if you don't mind, like, let's start off. I would like to just, uh, let's just start with, you know, your AA story. Like, just just give us your story the same way you would, like, you know, if you're speaking at a meeting. Okay. My name is Andy. I'm an alcoholic. My sobriety date is February 8th, 2001. And I say that, and I'm totally amazed because I have over 19 years of continuous sobriety. And for somebody that drank for 25 years and did drugs for 15 of them, that's pretty awesome. Anyway, like we said, I'm a kid from New Jersey, um, born upper, upper and middle class suburbia, it's a very small town. Um, my uncle was an alcoholic. He died from this disease. It does run in my family, but, you know, but the bottom line is I have it. Um, as a kid, 
I was painfully shy. I just wanted to be somewhere else and it wasn't even the places. I didn't want to be me. You know, I had a lot of friends, but I never felt like I had friends. So I was like the perfect chameleon. I could be friends with anybody and everybody, but I still went home and I felt so alone. Um, I, you know, I, I was a really good student. I did good in school, but I always had that edgy kind of thing. So I met this guy when I was like 14, who was a bad boy. And he liked me, and I, that was exciting to me. Um, but it probably wasn't such a good idea. So at 16, I got arrested for drinking, um, had to go to court. I, luckily, they let me off because I was a good student, and I brought my report card. My parents told me I couldn't see him anymore, so I snuck, which made it even more exciting because it was like the red flag. Oh, yeah. Well, over uh, too many seven and sevens, I was 17 years old. I lost my virginity, and I got pregnant. Um, I was 17 years old. I was a junior in high school. This is 1969. And if it was today, it would be no big deal. But back then, it was a very big deal. I was so ashamed. I couldn't even tell my best friend. You know, they say alcoholics, we have some, something happens in our life that we just don't process like normal people. And this was mine. And it, it set me into a tailspin. I finished my junior year because I, I, Planned Parenthood didn't exist. Abortions were illegal. I couldn't get a doctor to see me because I wasn't 18. So I just had, I had, a, I had to finish school. So I finally told my parents. Um, he, he was a senior. He graduated, but I didn't. Um, they did not want us to get married, but I did. So they finally agreed. So we got married. Had a beautiful baby girl. I thought it was going to be, you know, white picket fences and heart-shaped windows. And a year and a half later, I was granted a divorce on mental and physical cruelty. Mm -hmm. um, I knew there was going to be hell to pay. My girlfriend was going to San Francisco. This is 1971. So with a year and a half old kid and $250 to my name, I left for San Francisco. From Jersey. From Jersey. First okay. time ever on an airplane. 747. The last <laughs> in the bus. Holy crap, was that a long walk? <laughs> <laughs> so we landed in the Mission District, and the only thing we could afford was this apartment above a mortuary. You know, we used to keep the score. If you got a, a cockroach that had an egg sack, you got an extra point. I mean, I have never been that broke in my life. I mean, it was destitute. But, I mean, it was drug, sex, and rock and roll. Yep. I was able to get a job. But I couldn't even afford the bus, so I hitchhiked everywhere. And I mean, that's how I know God has been in my life because I'm still alive. And you know, and there right. when I shouldn't be. Um, you know, I got got introduced to California wine, and that's when my drinking career launched. And of course, cocaine and pod and all this other stuff. I made it there for about a year, and then I I knew I was I got mixed up with some bad people, and I, time to go home. So I did. I went back to New Jersey. Tried getting back with my daughter's father, which until he broke my mouth open and decided that wasn't such a good idea. So um, moved back with mom and dad and got a job at Bloomingdale's. I was on the road to be a buyer trainee. Pretty exciting. And then my dad got transferred to Brazil. And I didn't want to go. So I had met this guy who lived in California. So I said, what the hell? Another geographic. And so I went to Humboldt. 30 days later, I married the guy. Um, <laughs> <laughs> there, there's a lot of geographics in men in my life. I see this. I see. I'm picking up on that. You'll 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 see a pattern. Um, but it got me glad I could 
stay there. Um, the marriage didn't work. We didn't really know each other. But I stayed. I got a job for the Arcata Co-op as the wine buyer. I didn't know anything about wine, but I was smart and I could learn. And you learn by drinking. So I did. And I was really good at my job. It, it was a lot of fun. I mean, I was a hippie. Um, it, it, it was a wild time. This was, you know, the 70s. Um, I got, got to be my 30th birthday. My daughter was like 12, and I decided that we needed a bigger life, and I wanted to advance my wine career, so I moved to St. Helena. Um, and there I met potential number three, <laughs> who was from New York with a sick sense of humor like me, and he introduced me to Crank, which was my drug of choice. I mean, I still had, I always had the alcohol, but Crank was like, I could drink more, I got skinny, I had tons of energy, and you could afford it, especially when you were with the dealer. So it was, you know, game on. Um, we were living in St. Helena, and my daughter started getting into trouble. Um, too much money, too little supervision. She was starting to get in trouble at school. So I decided, well, maybe it was time to relocate. So I got a job with Liquor Barn, which was owned at Safeway by the time that time. And the store was in Albany, and somebody told me Antioch was close, which Antioch's nowhere even near it. But anyway, so I moved there, and my daughter hated it. I came home from work one day, and my apartment was filled with kids I didn't know. And I just told her, I said, you can either live here by my rules, or you can go live with your father. So she was 14, and I put her on a plane. And that's where this disease takes you. I didn't care. I, I cared more about the drugs and the alcohol than I did about my daughter. Because at that point in time, she, she was a lot of trouble. You know, we yeah. locked horns. And in, and in some respects, you know, I think God did both of us a favor. Because I think if we had stayed together, we'd probably hate each other. And today, that's not the case. But so then, so for the first time in my life, so now I'm what? I'm 32 years old. First time in my life, I'm never alone. So I married my drug dealer. <laughs> there is a pattern i get it i totally get it yeah which you would not normal people would say what right other people (laughs) wouldn't but i get it i'm right there with you (laughs) you know and it at first it was really good you know we we were best friends but we had no business being married um my i got a promotion with liquor barn i became uh one of the assistant buyer i was one of the only females in the wine industry um, so it was a lot of dinners, um, tastings, dressed to the nines, always with men. He was extremely jealous. He couldn't handle it, and I didn't want to give it up. Right. So we got a divorce. But we stayed best friends because we loved playing backgammon and doing lines. So we had that. <laughs> <laughs> and that's how it continued. So then enter husband number four, <laughs> which was Boy Toy. Um, he worked for the liquor barn. He, he was really into wine. He's 10 years younger. I didn't think anything was going to happen. It was just fun. So I had the drug dealer on one side and him on the other. Only then he asked me to marry him. And I didn't know how to say no. So I said yes. Right. But, you know, I never told him about the drugs because that wasn't part of our story. So that was all. So I, I led two lives, you know, and it worked for me. You know, I don't know how it worked for me. I don't know how. The, the the drug dealer knew about the next one, but the third, fourth one, fourth one, <laughs> <laughs> he didn't know about 
the drug dealer. So, but, right. but I managed to, I worked really early shifts and Bill worked later ones. So I'd come home from work. I'd go over to Robert's house. We'd play backgammon and do lines. I'd come home, get drunk, pass out and next day. So then everything was going fine. And then one day I get a phone call and it was Robert and he's in the hospital and he'd had a heart attack. And so he was the queen of the valley in Napa and I went to see him. And so we were playing backgammon and he said to me, you know, if anything should happen to me, would you promise me you'll take Petey, which was his main coon. And I'm like, nothing's going to happen to you. You're 48 years old. Well, the next day I happened to be off and I was walking around in my living room and all of a sudden I, I got this horrible feeling and I knew something really bad happened. And I got to, by the time I got to queen of the valley and found him, he had died like two minutes before. <sighs> And I lost my best friend. I mean, I, I was devastated. I mean, that was not supposed to happen. Mm. Um, I put the crank away that day, um, but I continued the drinking for three more years. And without the drugs, the drinking got worse. Then boy twice started to get suspicious. Then he started to call me on my drinking. So I got rid of him too, because Alcohol was more important than anything else. Yep. So then I moved to, so I was living in Napa. So I moved to Sonoma because I was working at the Safeway here in town and my life got really small. I lived on West MacArthur. I went down Fifth Street West. I went to Safeway. Ikea went down the other street. So my, my world basically was about four square blocks. So I worked five to twos, two thirty. I was home. I'd get drunk, I'd pass out and start it all over again. You know, luckily I never had two days off in a row, which was good because I might be dead. Yeah. You know, so, you know and gradually my friends stopped asking me to go places because I never showed up. And if I did, I was perpetually late. So my friends, my only friends were my three cats. Mm. Um, I didn't want anybody to even know where I was. So even when I got home, the, the curtain, my world got very, very, very dark. I was all alone and that was fine with me. I didn't care. I mean, I, that I can't, I can't believe that that I thought that that was okay. But the, and the drinking got bad. I mean, I started with the shakes. I remember one day it was so bad. I had to go home from work because I couldn't even count the money in the tills. And I didn't even really know what that was because back then people didn't talk about the disease like they do now. So I, I just knew something was really, really wrong. Wow. So then my daughter calls and she got engaged so I was going to go back east to, to see her and help her pick out a wedding dress in February because that was my birthday. So that's when we always, I used to go because I couldn't go for Thanksgiving or Christmas because my job was, that was the biggest liquor season. So I couldn't do it. So, and I was going to be staying at my mom's. So I, I, I knew I had a drinking problem. So I kept trying to cut back. So, you know, instead of three bottles, I went to one bottle and I mean, I couldn't not drink. You know, as much as I wanted to, I couldn't not drink. And I started getting scared because I didn't know how I was going to pull it off. So I had my plane ticket. I called Evans Airporter to pick me up. And so I'm trying to pack and I'm trying to drink. And I passed out and came to, passed out and came to. And the next thing I know, I came to. And it was the next day. I'd missed my plane. There was three phone calls from Evans Airporter, and I was laying in my bed, and I just remember looking up and saying, God, I just can't do this anymore. And I mean, my soul broke, and I surrendered. And I picked up the phone, and I called my mom, 
And I came, I have, this is where God works in your life. And I said, mom, I'm an alcoholic and I need help. I'd never said that before. Wow. Yeah. And, and then I called work and I told them and I said, I need help. And so they said, okay. And so my cats were already being boarded because I was supposed to be going to New Jersey. So again, my ducks were in a row and I called the rehab. It was Campobello at the time. It was one out in um, Santa Rosa. And they said, we have a bed for you. Somebody will pick you up at two o'clock. And I was all packed because I was going to New Jersey. So the doorbell rings and there's Bud Miller. And this is the truth. I did not make that up. How could a rehab driver be Bud Miller? You know, come on. <laughs> so so we, we go, you know, this place is kind of back road. So we're going towards the place and we get to that crossing the roads. And I thought I was going to be sick. And it's like, I knew what I was leaving, but I didn't know where I was going, and I was petrified. And so he says, what do you want me to do? And I said, just go. And so I went into the place. I don't think I've ever been so scared in my life. Um, you know, they ask you all these questions, and they put me in detox, and you had to go to meet, you know, into the room anyway. And there were these two girls that were in the room, and they're running around because they've been there for a while. They're smoking cigarettes, and they're slamming doors, and I'm curled up in the fetal position, and I just wanted it to be morning. Oh, yeah. It, it, it was, you know, like, what the hell did I do? And, you know, slowly the fog lifted and I started here. We, at that point, there was this guy, Chuck, who basically started the program that a lot of the rehabs use. And he taught us every morning. And he was an amazing, amazing man. And, you know, and once the fog lifts, lifts and they start explaining to you that this is a disease, you know, and it's not our fault. It's just, you know, this is, this was my, my deal in life. And, um, there was a whole bunch of other people there and we you kind of bond and become family. And I started to laugh. <laughs> I don't think I can remember the last time I had really laughed before. I mean, I laughed so hard my insides hurt, you know, oh. it, it was amazing, you know, and I started off with one counselor and she was pretty soft. And so then they switched me to this other guy who was really hard and he was always giving me homework. Everybody else was playing basketball, and I'm doing homework. And I just, really, I had a resentment against him. But you know what? I, he, he told me I wouldn't stay sober because of my job. And I said, oh, yeah, I will. And I did. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, so I was there about two weeks, you know, and I was like, oh, my God. I haven't thought about a drink. I mean, I drank daily for 25 years, and I hadn't had a drink. And then I started thinking about my sobriety date. Well, my sobriety date was Robert's and my wedding anniversary. So now you tell me that that's not God make work into my life. You know, I always felt like I owed him something, because had he not died, I might have. Because if I had kept up doing the drugs that we were doing, I'd probably be dead. Mm. So, you know, it's just all the more reason why I can never lose that date, because that, that's my gift to him for his gift to me. So I got, out of, I got out of the rehab, went to go to the community center, and I had to wait till 8 o'clock then. That was the first meeting. And I came home, and it was just my cats were still boarded, so I was totally alone. I couldn't pick them up till Monday because they were closed. But I went to the meeting, and there was this guy speaking. His name was Eric, and he had four months, which is like, holy crap. How could you have four months? <laughs> That's so huge. <laughs> You know, I had, you know, 28 days. But after the meeting, he came over to talk to me. He told me what meetings he went to. And he put his hand out 
and we're friends to this day, but I started going to meetings. He's one of my litter mates, and then other people did. And, you know, my life started to change. I was such a sponge. I would have done anything that anybody could. I didn't want to be that other person ever, ever, ever again. So I would do everything. So I did, I did more than 90 and 90. But, you know, I, I went into the meeting, I sat at the back, you know, I told my name, but still a little bit skeptical. So then Lisa, who had been my roommate at Camp Fellow, called me. And she went out. And this was about three months sober. And I said, what happened? And she said, I didn't go to meetings. I didn't get a sponsor. And I didn't work the steps. So that afternoon, I was at a women's meeting. And this woman walked up to me as I walked up to her. She needed a sponsee. And I needed a sponsor. And we started working together. Oh. So, you know, we started. We read the big book together. You know, we used to meet on Thursdays at at the duck pond and sit. So I was like, so we started working the steps after that. And then I guess it was about six months sober and just sitting there. And she's like, what's the matter? And I go, I don't know. I said, it's weird. I said, everything's okay. And she said, <laughs> she said, that's serenity. And I was like, wow. I, I don't think I had ever been quiet in myself ever. Thanks to Andy for being on the show and thank you for listening. Stay tuned for episode two of my three-part series with Andy coming right up for your binge pleasure. In the next episode, we talk about the gifts of sobriety and pet loss while in recovery. If you want to be on the show or you know anyone who should be on the show, please contact us. The email is radiorehab at gotoproductions.com. That's go-toproductions.com. You can also call or text 415-496-9511 even when we're not in studio. And on all the socials, it's at Radio Rehab Dana, D-A-Y-N-A. Thank you for listening. Keep coming back.